Well, amen. So glad that you are with us today, whether you're joining us at one of our campuses, maybe you're watching online, uh, maybe you're traveling. Uh, we are glad that you are tuning in. We are in Romans chapter 4, so if you've got your Bibles, I uh, encourage you to, turn, you to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, we've got a hel helpful app, uh, Bethlehem Church app. You can turn to that. It's got some notes in there uh, as well. If not, we're going to throw it up on the screen. So we got you covered. But here's what I know. It's holiday weekend. I know many people are traveling. Maybe some people are traveling uh, back from where you were. But here, here's what I know about traveling, especially traveling with kids. Your kids are going to ask a question over and over and over that you are very familiar with. And here it is right here. Are we there yet? That's right. Are we there yet? Now, kids have no concept or, of time or distance. I mean, you can tell your kids you are, you're driving to Canada, and they're going to ask, are we there yet, before you get out of Metro Atlanta, right? I mean, they're just going to ask that question over and over and over. Again, they're going to drive you nuts, and you're going to answer that question a hundred times in a trip because they don't know. They want to get to the next thing. But I think we never fully outgrow that question. I don't think we ever fully outgrow that question. In fact, there's something called destination impatience that I think we all wrestle with. It's this idea that I need to get to the next thing because I'm not satisfied in the moment that I'm in. So we're at home and we finally have some time to chill out and we're all about going because we're used to going all the time. So we're like, we need to go somewhere. And then the funny thing is, once you go where you're going, then you just want to get back to where you came from. It's like I'm going to the mall, we walk around the mall, and like, let's just, let's just go back home. And we go back home, and then it's all about the next. We wrestle with being in the moment. We wrestle with being satisfied. I think that's what it is. We, we think somehow satisf satisfaction will come from maybe having a, a certain job. Or maybe, maybe having a certain school system where our kids attend. Or maybe having a certain amount of money in our bank account. We're like, if I could get there, I will be satisfied. But we still wrestle, don't we? And there's a reason for this. I think Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 speaks to it. And here it is right here. It says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Now breathe that in. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Here's the point. Eternal life does not begin once we reach our final destination. Eternal life begins the moment of salvation. The moment we are justified, as scripture says. And in Romans chapter 3, Pastor Jason preached an unbelievable sermon last week where he talked about justification. That we are justified by faith alone. Paul says it this way. We are saved by grace through faith. In other words, faith is the vehicle that gets us to God's grace. So we are saved by faith through, uh, by grace through faith, not of works. That's what justification means. He, he gave us a very helpful uh, a term or a sentence. He said, justification means just as if I had never sinned. And here's what I think. I think for many of us, we have faith on Sunday and doubt on Monday. We got faith on Sunday, like we're down with it. We're down with justification on Sunday, 
But on Monday, we have doubts. And here's what I think begins to creep into our lives or our thought process. If I was really saved, I wouldn't have said these things. If I was really saved, I wouldn't have thought these thoughts. If I was really saved, I wouldn't have done that. And here's what we wrestle with. Again, write this down. This is in your notes. Here's what I think we wrestle with. If I don't feel saved, I must not be saved. And if I don't feel saved, I must not be saved. And the reality is, when we talk about not feeling saved, most of it has to do with our own efforts or the things that we did, the, the areas that we messed up. And then we don't feel saved. So we think if I don't feel saved, I must not be saved. Now, here's why I know we all wrestle with this. I know this because for many of us, I'm gonna raise my hand here, for many of us, we've prayed what we call in church the sinner's prayer hundreds of times. I mean, hundreds of times. I, I grew up a preacher's kid, and here's what that means. If you grew up a preacher's kid, you usually end up in one of two destinations, jail or the ministry, okay? It was close for a while, but 26 years, almost 27 years of full-time ministry, uh, I, I, I think I've settled into it. Again, close a couple times. I won't get into it. But, but here, here's what I know of my own life. I know that I've heard hundreds of sermons, and I've been to hundreds of camps. I've been to this thing called VBS. It's called Vacation Bible School. And here's what I found out about Vacation Bible School when I was a kid. Vacation means your parents get a vacation. That's what Vacation Bible School means. Now, if you're new to the faith or you're just checking out like that, what is VBS? I've seen it on some signs outside of church. It's a place where parents get a vacation from kids. Not, not kids, right? So I've been to them all. I, I've heard pastors preach sermons and they would all say the same thing. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? If you want to accept the free gift that is found in the person of Jesus, then right now you can do that. Just lift up your hand. And I've lifted up my hand so many times. Some of you, listen, some of you, every time Pastor Jay says, bow your head, close your eyes, you're like, well, I'm, I got a hand up, okay? Just in case, just in case it didn't stick, just in case it didn't work, I didn't say it right. Some of you are like, I got two hands just to make sure, just to make sure. Because I think there's, I, I think there's a reason why we do that, because subconsciously we struggle with this idea of a saving faith. We struggle with the idea of justification. It can't be that easy. I must play a part in it. Yet here's what scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Christ died for our past, present, and future sins. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we are seen as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And so it is not about our faithfulness. It's all about his faithfulness. So let me kind of set the tone for this message today. No matter what you have done or haven't done, if you have placed your faith in the free gift that is found in Jesus Christ, there is nothing you can do or don't do that's gonna make him love you any more or less. And here's why, because it's not based on our works. It's all based on his work on the cross. And that's what we struggle with. Again, down with it on Sunday, but then we start living life on Monday and we start wrestling. And so I think in reality, most of us, we live this way. We, we say we're putting all our faith in God, but most of us live like we have a little bit of faith in God and a lot of faith in our own efforts. 
That's more about us. In Romans chapter four, Paul continues to talk about justification minus works. In other words, it's all about Christ's work on the cross. And so here's what you need to know about scripture. We have a Bible that has chapters and, and numbers that are very helpful for us to kind of find where we're going or have, you know, turn to where we need to turn to. But when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, there were no chapters, there were no numbers. It was just a letter. So again, it's a continuous thought that we see in Romans chapter four from Romans chapter three. And I want to read the first eight verses. So again, if you've got your Bibles, you can, you can tune in with us, but I'm going to ask everybody, all of our campuses, unless you're driving, okay, you don't need to stand, but if you would stand for the reading of God's word. And let's read it together. This is what the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter four. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, if he was justified by his works, he could boast to other people about how great he is. But when you stand before God, there's nothing that we can do to boast. He's God. He's perfect. It says that Ab for what, uh, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted. Some of your translations may say credited. We're going to come back to that. To him is righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but it is his due. In other words, when you work, you get paid. And if you work and you don't get paid, you're, you're going to be upset. You're going to be angry. I deserve to be paid. I worked, therefore you deserve to pay me. But watch this. Verse 5. And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. There's that word counted again or credited. Just as David, he's talking about King David, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Look at verse seven. This is David. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Let's pray together. So Lord, we believe that. God, we claim that, that God, we are justified not because of our own works, but because of your work on the cross. So Lord, I pray that that would sink in for all of us because it is a reminder, especially in a day like today, that you are in charge, that you are sovereign and you are the creator of the universe. And so God, when we see things happening like they're happening right now in Israel and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel, we pray for those who are suffering, we pray for those who are wounded, God, we see, we see distress, we see calamity, but God, it doesn't take you by surprise because you are in control. So Lord, we join in praying for Israel. We join in praying for those who are suffering both abroad and in this room or maybe watching online. God, we pray. We pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted, that you would comfort us, and that we would realize we have hope because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. You can be seated. Let me try to unpack this real quick for us. Because Paul's doing something very interesting here. Uh, Jason said this last week, that he is constructing an argument for justification by faith. And it's an incredible, incredible work. And what he does uh, is he takes two figures. 
He takes Abraham. Many of us, if you grew up in church, you know Abraham. We call him Father Abraham. We even have songs, again, going back to VBS, Father Abraham had many sons, all right? Some of you know. All right, if you know, you know. If not, you're like, this guy's weird, okay? So uh, it, it is a little weird. But, and I am a little weird. So that, that's, that is true. But there's, there's Father Abraham. We're going to talk a lot about him. And then there was also King David. King David, greatest king who ever lived. The Jews revered him. The lineage of Christ came through him. And so what the Jews had done is they had put these two people on a pedestal. They put them on a pedestal. They were, they were spiritual giants. Okay, so when they look at Abraham, that was Father Abraham. They had placed him on the highest pedestal, the father of our faith. And look what it says in verse 2. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, let me tell you why Paul is saying what he is saying here. Because what the Jews had done with Abraham is they had placed him on such a high pedestal that they actually made, made him kind of like a legend. He had legendary status, if you would, with the, with the Jews. He was a legend. How many of you know with le- legends and story, legends and stories only grow with time? Like when somebody, has, when somebody becomes a legend, here's, here's the truth. They probably aren't or weren't as good as the story tells them or makes them out to be. The story usually grows. It's kind of like, it's kind of like our stories grow over time. You know, the old story with the man who caught a fish. Maybe that was you. You caught this fish, and that fish only gets bigger over time, right? It only grows. Or maybe for those of you who played high school sports, like your accolades and your ability only grows with time. You like you watch these kids now, and you're like, you should have seen me in high school. I mean, that's what most of the dads do at high school football games. They talk about when they used to play high school football, all right, and how great they were. You know, I, I, could, throw, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. I promise you I could. And you're like, okay, Uncle Rico, all right, we get it. If that was true, you probably would have played after high school, just saying, all right? But it, stories only grow. Well, the legend of Abraham had grown to a, a mythical uh, proportion, Because they had placed him on such a high pedestal, they believed, watch this, that he was perfect. In fact, there's there's many Jewish texts. Again, these aren't in the Bible, but there's many Jewish texts that talk about Abraham. Here's one of them right here. This is what it says. It says, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Notice this says that Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord. They believed that Abraham was perfect. One text says that Abraham did not sin against you, Lord. So they had, they had revered Abraham to the point where they believed that his righteousness came because he was perfect. That they had built this works-based theology around this idea that this legendary man, Abraham, was without fault, that he upheld the law even before the law. And here's why I think they did that. Because if we're honest, deep down, we think if we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. We think somehow, man, if I don't earn it, I don't deserve it. And there's this tendency, this gravitational pull back to workspace theology. Again, Sunday's all about God, it's all about you. And then we live Monday through Saturday like it's all about us. And this workspace theology begins to creep in. And when it does, I think we fall into a few traps that I want to give you right here. 
And let's just see if this is true about you, because it is true about me as well. So let me give you two traps I think we fall into when we make our theology about works. Here's the first one right here. It's the performance trap. It's the performance trap. This should be familiar to all of us, because it's this idea if we maintain a certain standard, if we do enough good things, then God will bless us. If you do, he will bless you. If you don't, he will punish you. That's how the performance trap goes, right? And here's how you can know that you're falling into the performance trap because you're always asking this, am I good enough? Have I done enough? And if it's something bad happens or something bad happens in our lives, then we think somehow God is punishing us because we haven't done enough good. And we're thinking the reason why this happened to me it's because of the things that I have done. And so we fall into this performance-based trap. No doubt there are consequences to sin. It's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about our right standing with God. That we're trying to uphold this standard as if it's all about us and it's not. I think it's a lot like trying to hold a beach ball. This is the way I illustrate it. Holding a beach ball under the water. If you've ever been to a pool or been to the beach and you got a beach ball and you try to hold that underwater, like you can do it for a while, but eventually, guess what, it pops up. It pops up out of the water. And I think the performance trap is the same way. We're trying to hold down these sins in our lives. We're trying to hold down our temper. We're trying to hold down the, the jealousy that we struggle with, trying to hold down our bitterness. We're trying to keep a smile on our face. We're trying to hold down our idolatry and our materialism and all these other things. We're trying to control them. But inevitably, what happens? They pop back up. And sometimes they, it pops up around other people and then we try to manage it. We try to push it back down under the surface. And that kind of leads us to the second trap right here. That's kind of the pretending trap. Like we pretend like we got it all together. Like we're just shoving it all down underneath the water. And we're like, no, we're good. We got a smile to our face. And I think, I think Christians are the worst at this. We come in on Sunday mornings. We come in on Sunday mornings, man, and we're like, I got it all together. You ever notice the perfect family? Like the perfect family comes in the door like, I'm talking like dresses, bows, dressed to the nine, everybody's smiling. And you're like, that mom's a better mom than, my, than I am, right? I, I can't get my kids with two socks on to you make it to church. And you see that perfect family, they're coming in again. All, all the, the, the dresses match and everybody, I mean, everybody looks perfect and, and, and the husband's walking in and he's greeting everybody in the name of the Lord. <laughs> hey, brother, just glad, man, it's so good to be here on the day of the Lord. I'm anointed. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just like, how are you doing? Awesome, awesome, God's faithful, God's faithful, we get it. But if you could turn the clock back two hours ago, here's what you would see. You, you would see mom yelling at her daughters to get ready and then yelling that when she was eating breakfast, she got something on that perfect dress. Dad's yelling at mom that they're gonna be late. And then they're both secretly yelling at the, the poor parking lot volunteers out there <laughs> saying awful things about them. Like, you should be ashamed, right? We, we say around here, like, to be, to be a parking lot leader, man, just to serve as a, a parking, you know, volunteer, like, it's like the Marines. Like, it's hard. It's, 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 it's difficult. People are going to do things. I mean, it's tough. It's not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. That's how we recruit for the parking team, okay? 
But it's true, like we all, but we see that. We're trying to, again, trying to hold it down. And here's the thing. We are constantly trying to manage our sin and it's exhausting. Worse than that, it's a religious workspace trap that opposes the gospel. You see, the message of the gospel, again, Jason said this last week, the message of the gospel isn't God is good, you are bad, try harder. The message of the gospel is you and I are dead. D-E-A-D. As Jason said, there's only one type of dead. You just dead. Dead in our transgressions. Dead in our sin. And Jesus breathes life into us. What part did you play? None. You accepted the gift. You accepted the invitation. And I think the church, listen, the church has resisted preaching this, this idea of freedom. We've made it this works-based theology, this legalist, legalistic theology to kind of keep people in line. And I think the reason why the church has done that over the years is because we're afraid that people are going to abuse freedom. And that somehow, listen, somehow it kind of works this way, that if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't struggle with sin. And if you struggle with sin, then you may not, or you must not really love Jesus. And then we see in verse 3, I want to read this to you, about Abraham. And in verse 3, here's what it says. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I want to I point to two words here, believed and counted. But Abraham, again, not by his works, not by anything he did or didn't do. Like, he believed God. He put his trust and his faith in God. He believed. What does that mean? That means when you and I believe God, we are putting our trust in God that he sent Jesus as his son and that he died on a cross and that when he died on that cross, somehow he died for my sins. I don't know how it works. I don't fully understand it. But I believe that Jesus died for my sins on that cross. The things that I have thought, the things that I've done, that he died for all of it. That he died for that on the cross, and I believe that. I put my trust in that. And then it says, God, and it was counted to him. We're going to talk about that word in just a second. Counted to him as righteousness. You see, it wasn't what he did. It's who he chose to believe in. That's the, that's the gospel. And if you're around Bethlehem Church for any time, you know that every single week, that's what we preach. Justification by faith, that God's grace is what saves us and that faith is the vehicle that gets us to God's grace. That is what we put our trust in. But again, on Sunday, a lot of times, that's easy to believe in the head. But during the week, sometimes there's a disconnect between the heart. Because again, if we were really open, that we were really honest about the way we feel, here, here's what we would say. Like, that's really good for people like Abraham. But Matt, I'm just, try, I'm just trying to keep my marriage together. Like, talk about faith. I'm just trying to keep my marriage together. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay married to the same woman. Like, that's my goal. I'm just trying to get my kids from here to there. I'm just trying to make a living. I'm just trying to do the best that I can. I'm trying to have enough faith. But listen, I don't know if you know, but this world is hard. This world is difficult. The circumstances that I'm dealing with right now are causing me to doubt. Like I know like, that there are faithful men in scripture, people like 
David and people like Abraham. And we read those people and we're like, they, they're like spiritual giants. I am not a spiritual giant. I'm just trying to do the best that I can do. But again, these men may be put on a pedestal like Abraham. People may think they were perfect, but they were far, far from perfect. You see, the truth is Abraham struggled as well. But again, we read it and we think they didn't. Because look at verse 18, look what it says. It talks about Abraham. He said, in hope, he, he being Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. Now, what is Paul saying here? This is real, real important for us right now. He's saying in hope, he believed against hope. The reason why it says that is nothing about Abraham's circumstances right here would, would allow him to have hope except for one thing. God had given him a promise. God had given him promise. You see, when he's writing this, he's referring to uh, Abraham and Sarah when they were 75 years old. Abraham was, scripture says, 75 years old. And they desperately wanted to have a child. Desperately. Deeply wanted to have a child, but they hadn't had a child yet. And how many of us know when you get to be 75 and you're, still, and you're wanting a child and you haven't had one, it's like, good luck, right? It's like, time is ticking, okay? I mean, it's kind of the, the alarm clock went off a while back. Okay, but then it goes on. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. You're like, well, I'm 75. So if I'm going to be a father, like we got to get to work here. Okay, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So again, what's interesting here is that God comes to Abraham when he's 75 years old and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. 75 years old. That's a big promise, especially for a couple who has no children. But when you read the text, here's, here's what's interesting. From the time they receive the promise to the time they experience the blessing, 25 years goes by. Scripture says when Abraham received the promise that he was going to be a father, he was 75 years old. You know when that was fulfilled, the blessing? When he was 100. 25 years is a long time. So days, weeks, months, years, decades go by, and he doesn't see it fulfilled. He's wondering, God, I know you gave me a promise, but I don't know where you are. And I'm not seeing it be fulfilled. And I, I can promise you that what Abraham and Sarah felt during that time is what we often feel. God, I know you can, but it feels like you won't. And maybe you have been there or maybe you are there and you've been praying prayers that you feel like God isn't answering. And you're praying these things to God. And God, I know in your word it says that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. But God, if I'm being really transparent, it feels like it. It feels like you're not there. And God, the circumstances that I find myself in, I keep praying and praying and praying. And I'm, not, I'm not seeing any movement. God, I'm not seeing your, I'm not seeing your blessing. And that's what we wrestle with. For some of us, it may be addiction. For some of us, it may be depression. For some of us, it may be a diagnosis. For some of us, maybe you're a couple here 
And similar to Abraham and Sarah, you desperately want a child. You would you desperately, you are praying that God would give you a child. And you know that scripture says that, that God is the author of life. And you're like, God, I, 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 I want to have a child so that I can raise them in the gospel. I want to have a child so that I can, I can raise a, a son or a daughter to love Jesus deeply. And yet God is not answering that prayer. And it feels like he's abandoned you. And what makes it worse is that you see other people who don't even want children, they're having children. They don't even want the kids that God gives them. And you're, God, you're like, God, what, why them and not me? See, that's when faith becomes difficult. And again, that's what we feel, and then we read this. Look at verse 19 about Abraham, right? The legend, here it is. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which I love this, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, I won't talk about the detail of what they are referring to are dead here, okay? But you guys can read between the lines, all right? They're like, hey, we're 100. Like, things aren't working anymore. Like, God, you're, you, you know, it, the uh, sun has set, if you would, right? But it says, no unbelief made him waver. So in all that, that 25 years, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And we read that and we're going, well, good for Abraham, right? Because I can't identify with that. Because my faith has wavered. But again, if you know the story, here's what you would probably do if Paul is, is, is preaching this to you or sent you this letter. Hey, I got, I, I got a question about that. Because it felt like Abraham's faith wavered. Like if you know the details of the story, I'm not going to give them all to you, but if you know the details of the story, here's what you know. In that 25 years, Abraham and Sarah struggled greatly. And I know Father Abraham, the legend, that dude had a rough 25 years between the promise and the blessing. And just to kind of fill in some of the details to make us all feel a little bit better here, I think, like just, just to help us out, did you know that one day Abraham was traveling with Sarah through a foreign land and Sarah was beautiful, caught the attention of a king and Abraham got scared that the king would kill him and take Sarah. So what he does is run an escort service with his own wife to save his neck. He offers her up to the king. Now listen, he doesn't do this just once but twice Twice he prostitutes his own wife to save his own neck. Now, if you're in here and you got marriage problems, you're like, well, they're not that bad, right? <laughs> you're looking over your spouse going, well, I, mean, I think we're doing better than I thought we were, all right? You're not prostituting your wife out. That's what Abraham was doing. Not only that, guess what? When they didn't see the promise be being fulfilled, they decided to take things, matters in their own hand. So Sarah comes to Abraham and says, hey, I got this great idea. How about you sleep with my maidservant? We'll have a child, and it'll be our child together. So Sarah comes to him, and of course, he's a dude. He agrees. Like, he's like, cool. All right, no problem. So he sleeps with Sarah's maidservant. They have a child named Ishmael, a son, who, by the way, all that we're seeing in the world right now is a result of him. That didn't go good. 
The least of which is their marriage didn't actually, like, wasn't strengthened by that. Because Sarah and, his, and her maidservant, like, begin, you know, to, to have issues, as you can imagine. And Sarah gets jealous and gets upset. Two ladies, all right, fighting. Shocker, right? Especially in these circumstances. And so guess what? She goes to Abraham and says, hey, why did you do this? And Abraham was like, well, is your idea? And she's like, well, now you listen to me. Of course, about this you would. And this is what Abraham does. Abraham kicks out his illegitimate son and his baby's mama. Kicks him out of the house. Father Abraham, the legend. That's what happened in that 25 years. But again, here's what it says. Even though all that is taking place, here's what Paul says. Paul says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Credited to him as righteousness. Now I want to give you this because this is so important. This is in your notes. Here it is right here. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's the object of your faith that matters. You see, Jesus even addressed this and he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You see, it's, it's not the amount of faith, it's the object of your faith. You, you have faith. The question is, where is your faith placed? What is the object of your faith? And listen, a faithful life is not a perfect life. It's a life that returns back to the promises of God. And that's why this may be one of the most freeing statements that I give you all day, this right here. Righteousness is not about never falling. It's about who you look to after you fall. Guess what? You're not perfect. Stop trying to push it down underneath the surface. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor Jason isn't perfect. That's why we point to someone who is perfect, and that's Jesus. It's his faithfulness and not our faithfulness. And so listen, that is what Abraham did. He returned back to the promises of God. And his decisions only reinforced the fact that he needed God. He returned back to him. He returned back to the promises of what God had given him. And so let me leave you to this. This is so important. Our faith is completely in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Completely. 100%. We can't take credit for it. And last week, Pastor Jason said that when Jesus was on the cross, that he spoke a word in Greek right before he gave up his spirit. Now notice it says he gave up his spirit. And the reason why it says he gave up his spirit is because nobody could have taken his spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit. And right before that moment on the cross when he gave up his spirit, he said this word, to telestai, to telestai, which means it is finished. The debt is paid. You see, Jason said this last week, but this right here, this is an accounting term that means the debt is paid in full. It's paid. We didn't pay it. Jesus paid it. But I want to point out something to you that's so powerful that Paul is talking about in this text. You see, 11 times, 11 times, he says it is credited righteousness. Credited. The word credited is a powerful Greek word. 
In fact, what Paul is doing here is he's quoting Genesis chapter 6, verse 15. When God said, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. He credited righteousness to Abraham. You see, that word counted there is a Greek word. And it's this word right here, logizomai. Did you know logizomai is also an accounting term? It's used in accounting, and it means this right here, credited. So watch this, this is so good. So not only did Jesus, to Telestai, not only did Jesus cancel our debt, our sin debt, he logizomai, he gave us a credit. He canceled our debt and he credited our account. What did he credit? He credited us his righteousness. Now you and I are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And when we say yes to Jesus, he cancels our debt and we get to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings. How good is that? That's good news, that's the gospel. Your account, your account has been credited the righteousness of God. So when God looks at us, he doesn't, see, he doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our lack of faith in times. He sees his son's righteousness. He sees you as royalty. And that's the gospel. And you may be listening, you may be go, I get that. Like, I get it. That's, that's why. That's why I'm here. But let me tell you why we have to continue to preach that every single week every single week. Because if we don't preach that gospel to ourselves every day, every week, then what we are prone to is we're prone to make it about ourselves. We're, we're prone to faith plus works. And we've gotta be reminded that it's all about Jesus. You see, works-based theology is sneaky. Because in reality, here is what it's proposing, that Christ's work on the cross was not complete. You see, when you and I make it about ourselves, then what we are proposing is that Christ's work on the cross is not complete. And listen, it is finished. Amen? It is finished. Oh, and you get credited his righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. I want to leave you with something. It's actually a powerful clip. Many of you may have seen this. One of my, become one of my favorite pastors, Alistair Begg in 2019 was preaching a sermon called The Power of the Cross. And he was talking about justification by faith alone. And he uses an illustration with the, with the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. It's a powerful look at what we are talking about right now. I want you to see it before we close. Would you check this out? Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, 
Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Come on, isn't that good? Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes just for a second? I know there's a lot of things that are coming our way, but in this moment, I want you to just rest. Heavenly Father, God, we rest in the finished work of the cross. God, we are, we are justified by faith and faith alone, not by our own works. God, if there's anybody in here, and maybe you're listening, and maybe you're saying, I've never done that before. I've never asked Jesus in my life. I've never submitted my life, brought my life under the authority of, the, of Jesus, but I want to do that right now. Listen, 